Welcome to the OmniTalk Fast Five, sponsored by Takeoff and the AM Consumer and Retail Group. The OmniTalk Fast Five is the fastest, funniest, and most fervently insightful breakdown of all the week's top news in retail, and also the podcast with the best alliteration. Some of you might even call it a stroke of genius. It is September 2nd, 2021. I am your host, Chris Walton, joined as always by Jason Goldberger's favorite OmniTalk host, Anne Mazinga. I was not aware of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jason Goldberg. Because you and Jason are having side sidebars without me. We are, but you, let me just say that you come in looking, smelling like roses with that because he made that comment to me on email yesterday. And uh, and then he, I, was, I told him it made me laugh. And he said, yeah, you know, actually, to do, tell you the truth, Chris, you know, if Emma, the intern, was still there, I think that actually would bump you down to my third favorite OmniTalk host. Aww. And I was like, zing, boom, go the strings on that one. So, but hey, we're back. Second week back from the stroke. Yeah. Got the orange... The, Gary Newberry, if you're watching, got the orange jumper on you. I'm going Dutch Arizona today. That's kind of an odd combination, but yep, so are my parents. So, you know, we're, we're flying here, Anne. You ready? Uh, I am ready. Yes. Um, I'm hoping you're going to make fewer stroke of genius comments uh, throughout this podcast, but how are you doing week two? The listeners want to know. Everybody was very concerned after last week. Are you feeling like you're ready to dial it up again like you were last week? Oh, hell yes. Hell yes. I'm feeling good. You know, last week I actually had a small, if you're watching on, on camera, small, like battery sized electronic device inserted in my chest to monitor my heart. Like are heart. we talking AAA or we're talking like watch battery size? No, Just yeah. It's, give probably, the listeners it's, it's probably like a, probably like a AAA, yeah, okay. AAA, but maybe not as long as a AAA. Okay. Yeah. We cover the mundane here on Omnitalk. Uh, well, are we, we talking the girth of a AAA or we're talking just the length? Uh, the girth. Okay. So not as, but it's not as long. So it's, it's about the same girth. <laughs> Good. Earth on Obby Talk, but not as long. But anyway, I got that inserted, so I'm feeling like a new man, you know? Like I feel like I feel like Robocop, and you know, but I'm like Robo Pundit, half man, half robot, and oh, all pundit. God. And that's what I'm at today. That's I'm how I'm sorry. feeling. We're it's, gonna we gotta we gotta move. It's on. feeling good. It's feeling on. good. All right, let's get to the content. Enough talks of girths and robo cops and all that kind of stuff. Batteries and batteries. <laughs> In today's fast five, we're going to discuss. IKEA's new furniture buyback and resale program, all the noise surrounding Allbirds IPO filing, Mercatus connecting with Instacart, a company many of you probably haven't heard of called Leap that is helping a hell of a lot of DTC brands open up brick and mortar stores. But first, we take off, as we always do, with big news from Amazon this week. That's right. Yes, Amazon is officially entering the buy now, pay later space by way of a new partnership with Affirm. According to USA Today, with the service, Amazon customers can split the total cost of purchases of $50 or more into monthly payments and are told the cost of the transaction up front. A firm also told USA Today that there will be no late fees. The two companies are reportedly testing the service now, and they said that it would be, quote, more broadly available in the coming months, end quote. A firm stock jumped 35% on the news. And how big of a deal is this in your mind? You know, this stopped me uh, mid-Sunday coffee, Chris. It did. That's right. I tested it to you. That's right. I I was like, whoa, that is huge. And, you know, I think what we know for sure is that most of the time when people know what they want to buy, they're going to Amazon to buy it. That's right. And now as Amazon expands their footprint into more physical retail locations, I imagine this will also be an option for shoppers in physical and digital Amazon experiences. Now. Like grocery in? Like grocery, Chris. Oh, you think the same as I do. Yes. Home furnishings. Mm-hmm. Whatever, oh, department whatever, stores. Department oh, stores. Whatever yeah. they decide to Woo, go to. We're getting saucy here. And 
you know, I said when Apple announced their buy now, pay later program, that that would, that would be, I think what eventually makes buy now, pay later go mainstream. Mm -hmm. And I foolishly said that not realizing that Amazon has not gone into this sector already. So I think Amazon truly will be what makes buy now, pay later go mainstream. However, the thing that I am most concerned about here is that the interest rate ranges, you know, for buying something on Amazon are from zero to 30%. Mm. The terms are up to like 48 months. So I think that's the only thing that concerns me here. This is not for easy installments with zero interest. This still requires some onus on the customer to make sure that they're not getting themselves into a similar situation with maybe credit card uh, debt or, or something like that. But what, I mean, what are your thoughts? Yeah. Interesting. And all the buy now pay letters, you know, skin that a different way, so to speak, but I think retailers too. Yeah. I mean, I think it's massive. I think it's huge. Like, and the $50 threshold is nothing. And Amazon, I think your point about grocery is fascinating because um, you know, $50 threshold and Amazon has the deep pockets to subsidize this. I mean, I think what prevents, a lot of companies from wanting to do it on, you know, less expensive products, you know, over time, like less lower ticket items is right. the, the actual cost of the the service, you know, the fee, you know, which I think is are anyway from like three to 6% of the transaction sometimes right. for these services that the retailers are paying to the buy now pay later companies. I have no idea what it is with Amazon, but the bigger point is like, it's now at Amazon. Right. And that is a big signal that this thing is coming. It's coming fast. And the other thing that it reminds me of, Anne, is I wrote about this happening in 2017. Okay. I wrote about it. It was my very first article in Retail Dive that I ever wrote about just mass adoption of buy now, pay later for just general shopping overall. And so if Amazon does end up bringing into grocery, I am so thrilled for that because it can help stretch people's budgets more so than ever. But just tells me too, like retailers, you were so freaking slow. (laughs) You got some jackass like me talking about this four years ago. And now Amazon is here. And now, because Amazon does it, you know, the rest of the industry is going to be another three to four years behind them to do it. Like, come on, guys. Like, let's get going on this. Some other companies like have pilots going on with other companies. Let's get those moving. Let's get them moving faster. Get them in store quicker. You know, there's a whole host of things here. My only big question is like, why didn't Amazon do this themselves? Why did they need mm-hmm. a firm to partner with this? But I'm guessing it has something to do potentially with the, the liability, especially with what we learned on Signified's podcast that we're going to drop this week on the state of fraud report that they just released, which I didn't know this, but the actual retailers are liable for online purchase fraud. Right. And so if you throw that into the equation with also the liability of trying to stand up the service on your own, that's a lot of liability in your book. So I wonder if that plays into it, but. And, and who wants to manage following up with the people that don't pay these. I mean, you start to think about how many millions of customers Amazon has that opens you up to an entirely new backend processing of, you know, you don't want to have the whole nation's debt on your books. Right. Yeah. I think, I think it's a good point actually. Yeah. All right. So in headline number two, we're talking about another retailer that also just instituted a buy now, pay later program, Ikea. Um, Ikea is doing a new furniture buyback and lease program in the United States, starting at its Philadelphia store in the suburb of Conshohocken, which is why Chris <laughs> gave me this story to read today. I mean, that's something not even like Kate Winslet from Mayor of no, say correctly. I think it's one of my favorite like city names of all time on OmniTalk, Conshohocken. I've, Shout I've, out to all the Conshohockenites out there. I know. I've, <laughs> if that's even what they're called. The watch watch our, our, our geography statistics on OmniTalk are going to blow up in Conshohocken this week. Yes, yes. Well, so IKEA is taking this program that they've already launched in other countries, including the UK. 
um, which they're trying to say is, is there, it's really a move towards making their uh, business more sustainable and climate positive. It's part of their initiative uh, to do that by 2030. But what they're doing is allowing loyalty program customers to bring in used Ikea furniture. They trade it in at the store, they get a store credit, and then they're taking all the items that have been traded in and they'll put them in the as is section. So where all the other returns typically go right by the extremely long Ikea lines. Um, and then they'll, they'll put that out for sale. You can, you know, use your credit on other resale furniture or anything in the Ikea store. Now, Chris, uh, what are your thoughts on this? Are you, are you big into the Ikea buyback program? Yeah. I wish I was living in Conshohocken, and I mean, I think this thing is huge. I got three words on this one. Look to Europe. Every retailer in the U S should always look to Europe because why? Because they're smarter than us. I hate to say it, but they are. They just know how to live. When you buy a, when you buy an apartment as a, a European, what do you find? They're all furnished. And why? Because it makes no economic sense to rebuy furniture all the time when you're young. It just doesn't. And so I think this is going to be like click and collect. And if I do my math here, 2035 by the time the US market catches on. It's going to come, but knowing us, it's going to take a hell of a lot of time. But IKEA is already succeeding success overseas. So I think this is a really cool idea. Kudos to them for trying it, seeing what happens over here in the US. It's going to happen. We've hypothesized for a long time that the furniture space is ripe for this because of that exact fact. This stuff is generally really expensive and there's a lot of money to be saved on it over time if you think about it the right way. So I think it's great. What do you think though? I mean, you're the one always scouring Ikea furniture on Facebook marketplace and stuff. Well, I think that it's another perfect example of a retailer smartly taking resale in house. I think that there's still a high value to resold Ikea furniture. And if they can capture some of the revenue for that, there's very little risk for them outside of having to host the products in their store um, and make space for that. And I think after making a trek to Ikea, um, until we start to have more smaller urban stores that are outfit with uh, the latest app that they're using in China right now, right. like you're going to leave with something. You're not going to leave Ikea empty handed, even if it's no, a no lingonberry soda, like, no. or you're just eating right. there because Lincoln you're there. Like there's soda. all advantage here to this. And I think that it could be really cool if Ikea even started to like gamify this or they do mm-hmm. like early before opening hours so that you like can just shop oh, the ads like section yeah, on like, like that a idea. Saturday morning. Yeah. Like, we see here in Minneapolis with the room and board outlet. I mean, there's lines yeah, like out event, there. That thing. Yeah. So I think that there's a lot of opportunity here for Ikea to just like blow this up and, and people will be receptive to it. That's a great point. And yeah, like I never thought about that. Like Conshohokanites probably have a new thing potentially to do on a Conshohokanites probably have a new thing to do on a Saturday morning. If you think about this the right way to create a whole event out of it and get even more traffic to the store. But Hey, here's the thing. I think it brings up another interesting question. And I've got to put you on the spot question from AM this week after what you guys did to me last week. And I, I think it's really interesting. And I think it's a perfect example of why I love the partnership with them too, because I think it, it adds an element that you don't get with other podcasts. And so, Anne, here's the question. Okay. Ikea's launch into a buyback and resale program follows in the footsteps of retailers like Lululemon, Urban Outfitters, who've launched their own resale platforms, whereas other retailers like Gap have partnered with companies like ThreadUp to do it a different way. Yep. Which model do you think results in more customer traffic conversion and ultimately sales in the long run? If you had to pick one or can you, or do you think the answer depends? I mean, I hate when people say depends, but I think there's a lot of, I hate when people wear depends. (laughs) That's not something that I mean, it's, you know, it's unfortunate. Yeah, you're right. You're right. That's terrible. That's true. Wear your depends if you need to. Yes, people. You're right. You're right. Um, So I think that it's just 
how you approach resale with your brand is a very uh, nuanced thing that you have to think about what's going to be the most the best experience for your customer and then what in turn will be most profitable for you. Um, I think we look at the different examples that AM gives here and each of those are using a different platform. You have Lululemon and uh, Patagonia, other retailers that are using Trove to take in the inventory. They're still holding on to the inventory and then putting that back in their stores, but maintaining that all under the brand umbrella right. versus something like, you know, a Gap who's participating with ThreadUp they're going through ThreadUp. ThreadUp's owning the customer experience there, um, but taking in Gap Apparel and other brands, like you're expanding that whole universe. Right. And then you have Ikea here who's taking the, that in on their own. They're, do, they're managing that all in-house. Um, I think that the best approach is probably to do what's simplest and easiest for the retailer to test this concept and to learn like where they where they need help and where um, they should be owning some of the the uh, resale platform. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, it's, I, I, I don't know. I feel like there's a definitive right answer here. And I feel like it's more like, especially given how hot this space, I feel it's like more in line with like what we spotlighted with recurate the other day where it's like the simplest and easiest way to get this is get the sellers that want to sell this stuff on your platform, reselling it them, let them own the relationship with the customer that they want to sell it to, let them build the credibility as the seller. And you take a cut of that transaction. Like you're just basically facilitating the marketplace transaction. That's a really simple way for me to see how companies could do this and do it really successfully or to test the waters in it. Right. Without, and I, sometimes the brand thing and worrying about the brand and all that, I think that gets blown out of proportion too, because the sellers can control that, you know, if you have, if you understand and they have a good reputation too. So now furniture is a little bit of a different dynamic too, potentially. And, you know, Ikea and depending on how the experience you create around it too, like that sample sale idea was awesome. Like I could see that playing into things differently. So I think you're right. It ultimately does depend on a lot of factors, but I think that is the smartest, simplest way to test it with the biggest impact right now. Especially for, I think, startup brands too. I mean, if you look at Ikea's and Lululemon, like they want to get people into the stores where I think you're right. Recurate makes a ton of sense for some of those brands that maybe are, you know, are building up and are online only exactly to to make sure that they don't have to worry about getting to a fulfillment center than getting to another customer. It makes a ton of sense. Right. Well, speaking of online only brands, well, not really, I guess, but in some ways, yes. Everyone's favorite sustainable shoe brand. Sustainable shoe brand. Sure. Right. Sustainable shoe brand. Everyone's favorite, especially Neil Thomas, if you're listening, has filed for an IPO. And similar to Warby Parker that we covered last week, it too has not been turning a profit in recent years. Now, here are the facts. And if you found Warby interesting, I think this one tops it, in my opinion. But here we go. Alberts has applied to list Class A stock on the NASDAQ under the ticker and yes, that's right. You guessed it bird <laughs> with plans to grow its reputation in sustainability into new product lines like the new line of activewear that they launched just last month now annual revenue in 2020 was only 219 million dollars but here's the figure that jumped out at me the most online digital sales represented 89% of total sales the company has lost money since 2019 and it does also operate 27 stores according to CNBC and are you on the uh, Allbirds gravy train here? Are you like one of these people that just like loves the shoes and thinks this is the coolest, greatest brand since sliced bread? I am not. Um, and I have, again, same as last week with Warby Parker. This is just so befuddling. Like how, <laughs> befuddling. how a, a brand is just going to go with 
no, like no profit to show. Like they're, they're getting into now an entirely new category that they have no history in, but they're like right. saying this is like a venture. Doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It's like it a just, BC venture. It should right? I'm just going to build a brand. Yeah. It just does not. An activewear, sustainable activewear. Yeah. It does not make any sense to me. It feels like with Warby, they're just like building the plane as they're flying it. And there's a mm-hmm. whole lot of duct tape going on. And I've seen some miracles happen in the Midwest <laughs> with duct tape. So it may Have be you. possible, but I'm telling you, this is very concerning for me as an, as a potential investor, uh, that, that this is what the foundation is being built upon. None of, none of those stats you gave me make me feel confident. I agree. And just again, disclosure, we are not financial analysts. Do not take our advice on anything. Do not buy, sell stock or trade stock, barter stock, whatever you want to do. Do not listen to us on that front. But I will say this. I think being old enough to live through it in San Francisco in the late 90s, this, this is, feels eerily to me now like the dot-com bubble. Because back then you had all these internet startups going public. And the big lesson there was, why are all these companies going public if they don't have profits? And so I have the same question here. Like, why are these companies going public if they don't have profits? Because if you do the math, 89% of the volume is digital, 27 stores, that's $890,000 per store. And these stores are in really great places. That's like the rent for one month in some of these stores. Right. Like, and maybe they're getting good deals on the rent, but that, that house of cards is going to fall down too. So like, I just don't get this. And you're right. And I think your point is great. Like, the activewear idea, yeah, I think it's cool. I actually love it as a strategy given the reputation they have with their shoes, but it's totally unproven. So, like, we're talking more, this is still more of a venture play than a mass market opportunity on a really sustainable going concern of a business ready for IPO. So, it just doesn't make sense to me. And I think the other part of this I'd say is, and I wrote this, I think, in Forbes in like 2018 in my holiday recap. I kind of, I kind of poked fun at Alberts because to me, it's just Crocs. It's like a new fad of a shoe that's a certain style. That style is going to wear out over time. And so I'm really interested to see where the valuation of this plays out because, you know, Crocs, now they've had a lot of things going on with the pandemic because their shoes are really needed by a lot of people right now. But like their valuation was in the one to $2 billion range. So if this thing gets anything north of that, like I'm just, I wouldn't, I'd just beware everyone because I, I think it's really hard. And, and can you name for me one shoe brand for the mass market? with like the single singularity of the product line that it has that actually is successful in history? No, I can't. You can't, right? I have to think about it, but I nothing. Nothing comes about. to your mind, right? Yeah. So like, again, that's the thing. Like, let's not recreate the wheel here just because something was fatty and cool. Enough said. All right. Headline number four. Uh, according to Winsight, Mercatus, a Toronto-based provider of grocery e-commerce solutions, is now offering the Instacart Connect integration to its retail clients, meaning grocery retailers that um, can now tap into the Instacart fulfillment infrastructure to pick, pack, and deliver orders without giving up control over the customer relationship. Um, consumers go directly to their preferred grocer's e-commerce site. They place orders instead of going through the Instacart marketplace um, and they get the products delivered to their house. And then the grocer is just sending those orders right through to Instacart to pick, pack, deliver, you know, however they, whatever their relationship has been set up um, with Instacart. So Chris, thoughts on this? We, I kind of fought for this one to get put into the yeah, fast cu- five, but. I'm curious why. Yeah. Because I'm curious to hear your point on that too. Cause uh, for me, I mean, for me, it's, I think this one's really simple, straightforward. Like to me, it's, it's, it shows two things. One, Instacart's continuing, continuing to diversify its business and how it approaches retailers. 
and create some trying to create a mutually beneficial relationship between it and just the general marketplace, which I think is smart. Mm-hmm. We've said that before. And then I think it still calls to mind the fact that the, the regional grocers, the local grocers especially, still need an easy solution for picking, packing, and delivery. And it's not easy for them to get that. And they're facing an uphill battle. And so they're trying to do, or or they're or Mercatus, who supplies a lot of the front end, you know, needs for that uh, by way of the, the e-commerce experience, you know, it's showing that the grocers have an appetite for that potentially and they need it. So I think it, I mean, I think on that front it makes sense too. Um but God, yeah, it still just brings up questions to me about like what still really happens in the long run as Amazon gets in this game, which we've talked about a thousand times. But what what are your thoughts? Well, I think it, you bring up a good point about Instacart diversifying. I think what I was thinking about instantly when I read the story was what the customer experience is going to be. And I think Instacart is smartly getting themselves involved on both sides of the equation. So they can right. you can either go to Instacart first and shop the groceries that are on Instacart, but then Instacart's also, you know, got another line of business that are a, a business model that they're supporting if you decide that you want to still shop your local grocery right. and you don't want to go through Instacart. So for me, it's just a question of like how that's all going to work and you know. How transparent it is. How transparent it is. If I'm still going to be paying fees, even though I'm an Instacart member, an Instacart person is delivering my order, but I had to pay the, you know, $7.95 delivery fee from my local grocer. How is that going to make me feel? Um, And, and I guess, you know, from a grocer's perspective, this makes a ton of sense. It's simple. It's easy for them to stand up. Um, it takes away a huge concern that grocers still are trying to figure out how to solve. Yeah. That's a great point. Yeah. And like, will the consumer even notice, right? If the grocer just just does what it wants to do behind the scenes and doesn't tell their customer they're using Instacart. And, right. You know, maybe they put in different bags or something to, de- you know, to de- delineate that or make sure that that doesn't, isn't as obvious. Right. It's a great question. I have no idea, but the proof will be in the pudding on the user experience side there. But, you know, I think ultimately it's still a good idea for, for Instacart to work that work that type of thing out to create these types of relationships. All right. Headline number five, there's a cool new company that we have had our eye on for some time called Leap. And that this week said it plans to open as many as 250 stores by 2022 for various DTC brands. I've spoken with Leap co-CEO Jared Goldling quite a few times over the years. And what Leap does is actually really cool. According to Chain Storage this week, which summed it up best, quote, the company offers a full service platform that covers the entire lifecycle of brands brick and mortar venture, including, and this is key, staffing, store design, tech integration, day-to-day and day-to-day operations. It also owns and leases all of the stores for the brands, end quote. Leap currently operates stores across New York City, Chicago, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Dallas, Austin, Scottsdale, and Southern Florida, with 50 stores expected to open by the end of 2021. Among the brands using Leap to grow their retail footprints are Birdies, Mark Weldon, Good Life, Faraday, Public Rec, UpWest, and Something Navy. And you fought for this story, too. You love it. Why? Yeah. Well, so I'm on a panel tomorrow um, called for an event called Cosmicon hosted by Pacific Retail Partners. And it's specifically talking to beauty brands who are going into retail for the first time. Oh, cool. And while it's exciting and, you know, these direct-to-consumer brands know that they need to have a, an offline presence, there's still a lot of fear around what negotiating those contracts, what the right footprint right, for looks sure. like. And hard. this to me feels like a great solution. It's kind of like an angel investment in the form of four walls and a shopping <laughs> center and fixtures and tech infrastructure and all the things. Um, I am so intrigued by this. I know you've spoken to them a couple of times, but to me, 
it still sounds too good to be true. Like uh-huh. I, I want to know more. So leap, if you're listening, if you're a brand that works with leap, let us know. I want to, I want to understand like the real, like what this looks like in terms of costs, how much visibility this is giving, um, you know, these retail startups, the experience of what an actual lease and relationship, cause they don't have a relationship with the landlords. In this case, the leap partners are doing all the negotiation yep. on their behalf, including like yep. what percentage of sales they get. And, you know, all, all of the yep. intricacies that are involved in truly operating a retail space there, you know, leap is, providing them a buffer to, and that's a real good benefit as you're trying to get into the space. But what does it tell you about the long-term risks and challenges of running an in-person business, especially when it comes to the staffing part of it? I think this is going to become so much more important who your staff is and who you have operating Mm. your stores um, are so much a representation of, of who you are. They're the right. only face that your customer is seeing when they're buying from you online or offline. And are they truly representing your brand in the way that you want them to be um, in store? Yeah, you're bringing up good points. It's an interesting point, like short-term, long-term, right? You offload, you license essentially the right for someone else to own and operate your stores, right? right. Or not own, but like operate your stores on your behalf, right? Which is essentially what's happening here. Very different from the beta model, which we've talked about before, which was like, renting a portion of the store to allow these brands to come in, just basically acting like a mini mall. These, the thing I like about Leap is they're, they seem more yoked to the success of the brand and yes. doing it well. And for them to survive long-term, I think they have to figure out the answer to your question, which is like, they're going to want to stay in these relationships perpetually, right? Because otherwise, if they aren't able to create the brand standards that one would expect from them, then the, re, then the DTC brands that are successful opening stores or whatever um, are going to potentially end up going out on their own in the long run and wanting to do that in the long run or wanting to learn the muscle memory to do that. So I think there's, I think there's a nice synergy here in how this model potentially could work if they can get it off the ground. Yep. The other thing that's fascinating to me when you talk, when I've talked to Jared and we could probably get him on an interview again too, if he's listening, I'm sure he probably is. Um, they're partnering with a lot of brands that are very similar in terms of demographics. Right. And that actually gives them really interesting play from a data perspective too, because instead of all these brands going out on their own and trying to tack geographies, because they're, because Leap's coordinating it all, they all already know what other brands have affinities with these customers and then can tailor their marketing to them in these locales in a different way for a different economy of scale yep. than, than the brands would have trying to do it on their own. Yeah. And I think that part is really unique and interesting, but you're right. It comes down to always it does. The devil's in the details of how you manage the stores. All right. Well, that was a fun conversation, Anne, this week. You ready for our lightning round? Yeah, let's do it. All right. How many years before we're all using one or two, maybe at the most super apps to pay for everything? Oh, two. Two? You think two years? Yeah. Jesus Christ. I was going to say five years. All right. I'm going to go for two. I think it's going to be Oh, wow, really? Okay. Yeah. yeah. I think especially with the acceleration we've seen in payments. And uh, I think there will be, we'll have like two major things that one or two, two years. Apps. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Wow. All right. Good. Um, okay. Chris, AB InBev's natural light is in entering the vodka category with the launch oh of God. natural light lemonade. Uh, sorry, vodka, natural light vodka and lemonade, strawberry lemonade and black cherry lemonade flavors. There's a theme here. Uh, the thought of Jesus. natty light back in college makes my insides absolutely quiver. What was the worst alcohol you consumed during college? The worst. Oh man. Ah, God. I mean, for me, it was, oh God, I'll never forget. I had a skunked bottle of MGD. Do you remember MGD? Oh, oh it was so it, it tasted like cheese. It was so bad. It was so bad. All right, man. 
you since you brought it up, what is the most interesting use of duct tape that you've ever seen? Oh man, I'm gonna need some more time to answer that question, Chris. There are there's so many times I don't know uh, that I could pick just one. The first thing that comes to mind is um, duct taping a, a tube floating down one of the rivers. Uh, oh right, so that the we could tube maintenance, tube maintenance, tube maintenance yeah. for Emergency lazy river rafting. All right, river I got another question for you. Best Buy announced this week plans to launch a whole new line of e-bike scooters, mopeds, and accessories. What are the chances that we would soon see you scootering into third house? Zero. My husband would divorce me if I got a scooter. Yeah, he, he hates scooters, them yeah. so much. Like, I've seen him like, rant like to no end. He, he will like see somebody on yeah, a scooter yeah. on the sidewalk. And honestly, like you can see his blood boiling. He's just like, it's like going up higher. He's like getting more and more red. The top Carter's the already bought one probably, but if he's listening, but yeah. <laughs> The fresh market will begin adding free Himalayan pink sea salt dark chocolate samples to shoppers curbside orders at all stores. Chris, what would you be the most surprised and delighted to see a sample of in your curbside pickup bag? Ooh, you know, for me right now, it'd be like one of those CBD like beverages, you know, like one of those like, okay, what was it? What's the one we saw in New York? What's that called? Uh, uh, recess. recess. I want a Reese bottle of pear. I grabbed it. Recess. I want a bottle of recess in my sample bag. Okay. You just, just want because I want some mellow time. Some mellow time. Yeah. Okay. Fair. I yeah. think that's a good one. Yeah. Good All right. One. You like that one? All right. Well, happy birthday today to some heavy hitters like Keanu Reeves, Salma Hayek, and everyone's favorite summer school teacher, Mark Harmon. And remember, if you can only read or listen to one retail blog in the business, make it Omni Time. Our Fast Five podcast is the quickest, fastest rundown of all the week's top news. Our twice-weekly newsletter tells you the top five things you need to know each day and also features special content exclusive to us and just for you. And it's all within the preview pane of your inbox. You can sign up today at www.omnitalk.blog. Thanks, as always, for listening in. Please remember to like and leave us a review wherever you happen to listen to your podcast or on YouTube. And, of course, be careful out there. Family Talk Fast Five is brought to you with the help and support of the AM Consumer and Retail Group. The AM Consumer and Retail Group is a management consulting firm that tackles the most complex challenges and advances its clients, people, and communities toward their maximum potential. CRG brings the experience, tools, and operator like pragmatism to help retailers and consumer products companies be on the right side of disruption. And of course, Takeoff. Takeoff is transforming grocery by empowering grocers to thrive online. Kia's micro-fulfillment, small robotic fulfillment centers that can be leveraged at a hyper-local scale. Takeoff also offers a robust software suite so grocers can seamlessly integrate the robotic solution into their existing businesses. To learn more, visit Takeoff.com.